Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. My life as a stripper was so much more controversial and for some reason, you know, the thing that more people had an issue with. I was ready to jump out of a window, basically, and I was unrecognizable to myself. This other thing with the teacher was more relationship-like. And I was like... Really? Like, that's you. That's that's it? That's what I am? I'm just bad at being uncomfortable? So simple, and it also makes me feel like such a dick. Why is it that the most successful people have often overcome the greatest struggles? How do you find that light in the dark? That's what I'm here to find out. I'm Anna David, and this is Struggle to Success. Hey there, you're listening to Struggle to Success. I am your host, Anna David. And this um, is a really, really exciting interview for me. And you need to listen to it because not only is it with a fabulous woman, but you are going to hear about the role that um, the death of a brother struggling with uh, a disease that seemed incurable for a while, the role that plays in success. And uh you got to find out what this woman's morning routine is because it's not what you'd expect. Anyway, who is she? Well, Katie DiPaolo is an entrepreneur, author. She's the founder of Inner Glow Circle, um, which just uh, had its first million dollar year. Uh, here's what you need to know. 100 days after opening her business, her brother died from an accidental overdose. Um, she jokes that she started her business from her bathtub, but it's actually not a joke. So... Uh, This is somebody I didn't know until we just did this interview, but now I'm going to know. And after we finished recording, we made a plan to meet up when she's in L.A. Um, So I'm I'm so proud to give you this one. Uh, Here we go. This is my chat with Katie DiPaolo. Katie, it's so good to talk to you. Yes. As it turns out, we we share a passion. I wanted you on the podcast before I knew that about you. Um, so, and this is a podcast that used to just focus really solely on addiction and recovery. So let's talk about, uh, the way addiction has played into your life. Yeah. Well, um, right after I started my company in our glow circle, I got a call that my brother died from an accidental overdose and obviously it was the worst phone call of my life. But it was weird because the first thing that happened in my brain was that I heard, so my my other brother called and he said, you need to come home, Bo's dead. And in my mind, the first thing I heard was it's, it's done. It's done. It was like a chapter of a book had just slammed shut. And I think on some level, I'm I'm very intuitive. Sometimes our students will call me psychic, but I'm very intuitive. And I think on some level, I knew, like I knew my brother was going to die. I knew he wasn't going to make it through all of his struggles. 
I didn't know when. I didn't know exactly what it would look like, but he died from an overdose. He was at my parents' house and um, he was safe. And, you know, I think he died in a lot of peace, which is brings a lot of relief to me and my family. But for me, it sent me through this whole path of my own recovery as well. How so? Well, I mean, so I, most of my life, I've struggled with some level of anxiety or depression. I think a lot of times like the depression comes from the anxiety. Mm -hmm. It's like, why the F am I feeling this way? And for me, it was like, I, I had a lot of existential anxiety, meaning growing up, I always felt this pressure to figure out what the heck I was doing with my life and why I was here. And I didn't know that like, that was also depression that like, when you're constantly like, why, 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 why am I here? What's the point that, that sometimes is how depression functions. And I didn't know that we didn't talk, like we didn't grow up talking about our feelings that much. And I never went to therapy until I went to college and I didn't try any kind of medication until, um, I got diagnosed with Lyme disease. And that was, that was the other thing that I was really recovering from. So a few years before my brother died, I had been diagnosed after 10 years of not knowing what was wrong with me. And it was weird because my brother, I think my brother and I are very connected and always were and still are. We now have a relationship that he's now that he's on the other side. And some people think that's weird, but I think it's cool. And it's been really freeing and healing for me. Um, but it was really interesting because a lot of his struggles paralleled mine. And I think the stress of wanting to save my brother and fix his addiction, which you obviously can't fix, but impacted me. So then, you know, I, I got bit by a tick when I was 18 and didn't know, like I have a vague memory of it, but I just had this rash and it went away. And then when I went to college, I started getting really sick, like just really sick. And I got diagnosed with mono and, um, and then they just didn't know what was wrong with me. And I went from doctor to doctor and because of my physical symptoms and, and because of the Lyme actually crossing the blood brain barrier and moving into my brain, it started to kind of mess with things neurologically. So kind of being predisposed to anxiety and depression, and then also having this thing run amok in my system. And then the emotional stress of my brother's struggle, when he really hit rock bottom, I lost feeling in half of my body. And that was the thing that really set me on the path to going and getting the right treatment. But it took me years. It took me years. And it wasn't after until after Bo died that I found the doctor that could actually fully heal me. And now I'm Lyme free, which is a miracle. Oh my God. What did you do? Was it a uh, more, more sort of Western or Eastern solution? I did a lot of things. I think the reason why I'm not in a wheelchair is because I did so much Eastern, yeah, I, I did so many um, alternative methods. Like I started acupuncture when I was really young and I started eating gluten-free because I thought that I had celiac, even though all my tests were negative. I really started studying this stuff myself. And I even went, I, I started my master's in nutrition before I went 
to be to become a coach in my early years of entrepreneurship i i ended up the thing that healed me was this rigorous treatment program with ivs and um i found a doctor near me that uses these more european methods and he's an md but the the techniques that he uses are very alternative which is ideal. I, I know I dealt with a naturopath who was not an MD who really put me on a bad path. Oh um, yeah. It's that balance between Eastern and Western is, is a real thing. I know when I hurt my back, I mean, I have uh, sciatica. I was like, I'm going fully Eastern. And I was like doing stuff like like drinking butter tea and buying these like special groceries by the side of the road because they were illegal. Like I'm not even joking. <laughs> like special dairy-free stuff. And and I was in so much pain for six months. And then I finally went to an orthopedic and got steroids and I was healed. So it's not always, you know, sub Western medicine gets such a bad rap, but it really uh, can can be the solution. But there were yeah. so many things you said in um, the initial thing that I wanted to go back to. God, something I have never heard in my many years of discussing depression is that asking why am I here is related to depression. That mm-hmm. is brilliant. I've, I've never, you know, because I've always thought that asking why am I here is related to brilliance and to, you know, a deep spiritual quest. And I think it's both. I think it's both too. I think it's both too. I was having a conversation with my dad the other night and I was talking about how like our business is really starting to grow fast. And, you know, my family hasn't read my book yet. It's in the hands of my editor, but I was telling him some things and, you know, I, I was talking about that. I'm just going to talk about what happened from my perspective. And I come from a pretty conservative family. So you can imagine like, everyone knowing that my brother died from an overdose was a pretty big deal, but they turned it around and they started a foundation and they've done a lot of work um, and saved a lot of lives actually. And I think that that's the point, right? Like I always say that if you're going to go through something and this was the thing I prayed for, for years and years and years. But one day I finally had this wake up call that if I was going to go through all this shit, it had to be worth it. It had to be worth it. And I had to make it my purpose. And I had this radical, radical thought one day. Like people say, when someone dies, let's celebrate their life. I mean, a funeral is supposed to be a celebration of life. And I thought to myself, I want to get to the point where I can not only celebrate my brother's life and that he lived, but I want to be able to celebrate his death. Like I want to be able, and I know this sounds so wild to some people, but I want to be able to say like, no, I'm actually grateful that my brother died and that this is the work that our family has been able to do. And this is the work that I've been able to do in the world. And people write us and reach out all the time saying that we've, you know, saved their lives or saved someone's life because people don't know what's going on when someone they love is struggling with drugs or bipolar, which was my brother ended up getting diagnosed with bipolar illness. But I was talking to my dad and I I was saying like, dad, I'm so out of that phase of feeling like things are so dark. And for a while, for me, I was so depressed that I would pray that God would take me in my sleep. And I know that that's horrifying to say out loud, but I was in so much physical pain. 
I lived in so much physical pain. I joke that I built my business from my bathtub, but like sometimes that was the only place I could feel a relief from pain. And my boyfriend thinks it's so funny because I still have like a full desk set up in the bathtub. How do you you get your papers and computer wet? You, I mean, you, I have a bath desk. It's like an actual thing. Look it up on Amazon. I I know. Just, I, I, sounds lovely. I should be an investor, but I said, you know, dad, have you, do you know what I'm talking about? Like for years I questioned why, why, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Like when my brother died, I felt like I died. I really felt like part of myself was gone, but like just dead, like not alive. I was living, but I wasn't alive. And he said to me, Katie, for me, it happened before Bo died. He said, for me, the grief was I'd be driving to work while Bo was still alive, while he was struggling and just be like, why, why are there people? Why are there cars? How is that person smiling? And so to go back to the why conversation, I mean, my company's entire premise, like our mission is that we help people find their purpose live it and get paid. Right. That's what we do. Right. But it was started out of like my own existential crisis. And I agree with you that a lot of like, we are brilliant and we are geniuses and we are digging for depth. And I think that a lot of people who have quote unquote mental health issues fall into those categories. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I, what's brilliant about our connecting is that, you know, this is the exact focus I want to take is what is the role struggle plays in success? I mean, you happen to have a literal direct trajectory that's related. What I think, you know, it's sort of based on the premise that those who struggle, those who succeed in a notable way often are running from something, often Mm. are using, you know, maybe it's this quest to prove yourself. Maybe it's whatever it is. I know for me, some of my motivation does not come from the healthiest place, but so that's what I'm interested in Mm -hmm. is that idea that some people who struggle, most people who struggle, it kills them. If not literally, then emotionally. And why are some people able to take those very same struggles and use them to succeed? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I, I think I know the answer, at least part of it. Tell me. <laughs> I think it's resilience. Like, I think you have to be so fucking, like, clear that failing is not an option. Failing is not an option. Like, you just have to take that option off the table, yep. and then you find a way. And yep. I literally – I was telling somebody this the other day, Anna. I had um, – Oh my God. I was working with this. I'm working with this energy healer and she does this whole wild thing where she goes into your body and finds the trapped emotions because the idea is that like the emotions we, we tend to experience specific emotions, right? So, um, for me, she was like, I'm feeling this indecision and it's connected to when you were 29 years old. And I'm like, well, what happened when I was 29? And and I'm tracing it back. When I was 29, I was sitting in the driveway at my parents' house in my car in total breakdown because I was on a nine-month waiting list to get to this doctor that finally healed me. And I think I knew that he was going to be able to heal me and get rid of the Lyme. And I was, you know, two years out of my brother's death. And I was 
I was building a business and we were growing, but it was hard. Like it was hard. It was felt so uphill. Every day felt so uphill. And I'm like, this cannot be the way that it's supposed to go. And I'm sitting in the car and I'm talking to God and I'm like, why, why, why? And I know from the work that I do that we're responsible for creating our lives. Like we don't create our DNA, but maybe we choose our bodies and our families if you believe in that kind of spiritual stuff. But we do get to choose what we're going to do with what we have. Yep. And I knew that on some level... Like the, with the beliefs that I subscribe to and the beliefs that I teach on some level, I was keeping my sickness and I was keeping my depression and I was keeping my anxiety and my own stuckness into my vibration, like yep. in my world. Cause it hadn't shifted yet. And if hadn't shifted yet, I knew I hadn't shifted it. Yep. And I got really real with myself and I said, Katie, and I was in tears and I was like probably yelling at God. And I was like, why, like, why is it here? And the answer that I got back was like, you're actually like, you haven't decided yet. You haven't decided that you're staying here, like on on the planet, you know, and I wasn't suicidal. I don't, I don't want to indicate that, but I was like in so much pain that I couldn't even wrap my mind around continuing to live the next 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever years like this. And I was 29 years old. So I hadn't even hit 30 yet. Right. Which everybody says life starts at 30. So it was like this moment. And I said, Oh my God, I have to decide, like, am I going to stay here and stay here and be alive and vibrant and live the life I saw myself living. Right. Cause I would get these visions of myself speaking and teaching and traveling, but that shit requires you to be at least reasonably healthy. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, I couldn't even trust my body, Anna. Like I didn't know how I was going to feel when I woke up the, the next morning. So I didn't want to wake up sometimes. Yep. And I, but I think also, and this is especially relevant for anyone in their 20s who's listening, 20s are brutal. My oh my 20s God. We're brutal. And nobody really tells you that. You know, you're mm-hmm. sort of graduating college and you're like, oh my God, I've got my whole life ahead of me and I've got my youth and all of this stuff. And, and I, I just find uh, any 20 year old well, that I know now, like, it's just, you're totally delusional. You have no idea how the world works and <sighs> you feel like a failure because it's really hard to build. And by the way, if you're in your twenties and you're like, I'm totally succeeding. and don't know what you're talking about. Hat talk. But this was my experience and a lot of people's and it really changes. It really, really does. And I think also, you know, because you've mentioned God and praying, I think when you can kind of get into that space of like rejection is God's protection. And if mm. this doesn't work, that's because God's God. And, and you don't have to believe in God. That's because the universe has a better plan for me. Mm. That really helps with so-called failure, don't you think? Yeah. And even like God, universe, whatever, even like your higher self. Yeah. So we teach a lot of like stuff around manifesting and creation and like how to create the life that you want to have when you probably went through some crazy shit, right? Because most people who do the kind of work that we do have been through stuff. Yeah. Like, and you have a story to tell. And that's why people write books, right? Yeah. Like they're, they're making, they're taking, they're finding the silver lining or as I say, like the glow in the dark, right? You're, but you have to make it. You have to like make the light. You have to like light the candle. Yep. It doesn't just happen. And I think so much of it is just, deciding, like deciding that it's going to go differently, deciding what you're available for, what you will and won't tolerate in your own life. And 
we talk in the manifestation or creation process. I used to like totally hate that word, but I'm getting, I'm, I'm reframing how I relate to it because to me, like manifestation isn't like sitting on a meditation pillow and like wishing, you know, Prince Charming will come or, or whatever. It's like it's going through this really intentional process of creating the thing that you want and realizing the ways that you're not yet being that person. So if I say, you know, I want to be at this level in my business, or I want to be making this much money, or I want to be on this kind of TV show, am I showing up now as that person? Yeah. And and that's the key. And that's how we like that's how we decide and that's how we become the next versions of ourselves. So we can talk to God and we can talk to the universe, but we can also like communicate with our higher selves, like our future selves. Because people will say, you know, people will be like, well, what would you have, like write a letter to your 15 year old self. Right. You know, and what would you have said to yourself back then to make yourself feel differently, have more peace? And what can our future selves tell us now about the path of success that we actually are on and all the dumb shit that we stress out about day to day actually isn't important, but that requires us to then focus on what is important. And most of us love distractions. Yeah. I mean, you've said so many brilliant things that I relate to, which is not surprising when I'm like looking at inner glow circle behind you, you know, <laughs> and that you know that my, this podcast was also almost named Hustle and Glow. I know. I love it. Um, but, but I, it's just, I wonder, you know, in terms of it's a decision, you know, I, and I was talking to a sponsor yesterday about how if you have trauma, um, you'll often recreate the same situations because your brilliant subconscious thinks, I'm going to redo this and I'm going to get it right this time. Mm. But what you don't realize is that you are re-traumatizing yourself. Mm. And I know for me, I didn't understand that I could have people in my life that were supportive and that loved me wholeheartedly and that just thought I was fantastic, flaws and all. I didn't know that. So when I was in relationships, friendships, romantic relationships, whatever, with people who didn't do that, I thought that was the best it could be. Right. And that that's what relationships were. And it's sort of that thing in recovery we talk about. It's like you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. It's only Mm -hmm. when you, the pain of changing is greater. The pain of staying how you are is greater than the pain of changing. And the pain of changing is freaking painful. Um, that, that, you, and it's lonely because if you're really going to do it, you have to be literally alone. You have to say goodbye to those old relationships in order to bring the new ones in. Or if you're a really slow learner like I am, you have to wait till it gets so painful. Oh my God. Yeah. You know? I think a lot of us are that way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it, I never felt like I made a decision. It's more like a decision was forced on to me. Do you know? Right. I totally hear what you're saying. And I also think that we can continue to create, you know, horrible situations forever. I mean, my cousin passed away at like 40 from drugs, you know, and, and ended up having, I think, heart failure or right. so, you know, it wasn't like the drugs directly, but it was the drugs. Yeah. And, um, you can keep making the mis- the same mistakes. I think you we have to give ourselves a little bit of credit. True. I mean, look, my I was engaged six months after my brother died. That engagement ended with restraining orders and a court case. So I fully 
have been there. And then when I had that big breakthrough that I told you about where I decided, like, I'm not going to let myself die, whether it's figuratively or literally, I'm, I'm going to live. I'm deciding I'm going to be my full self. I'm going to be Katie fucking DePaula. I'm going to do everything I can do to make this world a better place and to live the life that my brother didn't live. Like he didn't complete his life. I mean, I believe that on a karmic level he did, and that was his assignment, but he died at 20. That's an early death. And I was then dying at 29. Like, that's not cool. Like, you don't have to be like that, Katie, get your shit together, get focused, get back on track, do what you're here to do. But I ended up going through a partial hospitalization program. And I haven't talked about this much at all and not publicly, but I've written about it in my book. So I have to start talking about it. And I I took two months off work and I went through a partial hospitalization program because my depression was so bad that I was having the thoughts I was having. And so I agree with you that there's some times in our lives where things are so dark and we're so down that we can't find the light in the tunnel and we can't find the glow in the dark and there's no fucking silver lining. Right. And so that's where like faith and hope come in. And you're, you just have to keep saying there has to be, there has to be, there has to be. And you may do that for two years or you may do that for 10 years. Yeah. I mean, I, I always have thought my greatest quality is that I have a very low tolerance for depression and it Mm. gets me moving. You know, I'm not someone who, you know, when people talk about, oh, I just like was depressed. So I stayed in bed all day. Oh my God. I I would, I literally would have a suicide plan by the end of the day. (laughs) I have to move. And, you know, even when I was really depressed, my therapist would say, you never present as depressed because Mm. I never stop exercising, stop, you know, uh, eating all of those things. But I take my depression to all those places, but I think it passes a hell of a lot faster when Mm. you have no tolerance for it. Do you know what I mean? I, I fully agree with you. I fully agree with you. And for myself, I've sort of reframed depression as like being disconnected. When I feel disconnected from my purpose or I feel disconnected from myself, I'm always connected to other people and I'm always connected to my fault. Like I'm always connected, right? right. Like connected on a deeper level. And so for me, like if I'm feeling depressed, the only thing to do is to get connected. And that might be, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can do that, but a lot of times it means slowing down. Yeah. And remembering why we're doing the things that we're doing and why we've said yes to the things that we've said yes to. Yeah. And creating a plan, you know, like I'm the same as you. I mean, when I was physically ill, I did stay in bed and I sort of started to get used to that as a way of living. And so when I'm sick now, like if I have a cold, I sort of freak out because yeah. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going back to that place. Just like you talked about that trauma response. And, you know, whether it's like my parents or my boyfriend or my business partner, I'm like, I'm sick. And they're like, okay, you have a cold. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand where my head's at. Totally. I mean, and that's when you started and you said, you were talking about, it turns out it's more anxiety than depression. You said totally. something like that. Yeah. And I remember the psychiatrist who said to me, I don't think you suffer from depression. I think you suffer from anxiety about having depression. Yeah. And it's because it's like, it's just like, oh 
God, uh, what if I go here? And I used to have really bad insomnia and it was the same thing. It turns mm-hmm. out I'm not an insomniac. I have anxiety about having insomnia and that would bring about the insomnia. It's wild, right? right? Okay. I, so I, I, I keep jumping into my things because I, I'm relating so much, but I do want to talk, let's talk about your success because we've talked about the struggles. Mm. So let's talk about this business, how you built it, where it is now. Yeah. So we've really grown. This is going to be our first million dollar year and I'm super excited about that. Um, it's funny. I was telling some women I was teaching the other day, like I thought our first year was going to be our million dollar year. And I just, you just don't realize like things take time. And so many people give up because of the time that things take. But if you believe that time is just, um, a resource, then it doesn't matter if it takes a year, if it takes four years, right. Or if it takes 40 years. So we have an amazing team. I have a great partner. She was one of my early clients and she kind of came in when I was sick, you know, and, um, I think a lot of people had an opportunity to rise to the occasion when I kind of publicly fell apart in my company and my community very early on because of my brother's death and then because of my sickness and my treatment. And so one of our, my early clients was like, you have something really great here, but I think I can make it even better. And I was like, okay, I don't have the energy, so do it. And um, she really stepped up our company and our, our, our brand. And we hire from our graduates for the most part. So what's really great about our business model is that the women that come work with us are really fucking well-trained wow. and they know our work inside and out. And we have an accreditation as a coaching company with the International Coaching Federation. And that was something that we worked really hard for and took us years to get as well. But because of that, we have to hire internally. Like we have to hire teachers who have been students and who know the curriculum and who know we're doing. So everybody in our company speaks the same language. And so everyone's really close. I grew up in a family business. My family, my grandfather had started a fence company in the DC area in the forties. And I always joke about this, but I think we've created like a chosen family business because, and and the girls will joke about it, but it feels like family, you know, and, and people react differently to this, but people will call us like the, the Kardashians of self-help or like the conscious Kardashians. And I'm like, okay, but I get it. And I get what they're saying. And the thing that, that I've done in my company that I think has been a key part of my success is I never built the company around myself. And I learned that from my father and my grandfather, but I didn't build the company on my name and I didn't build the company just around me. And the reason I did that, Anna, was because I didn't know if I was going to make it. Like I didn't know if I'd be able to. So I scaled the company early on because I had to. And I learned how to delegate and I learned how to trust people and I learned how to step away. And I learned how to then come back in and say, you're doing a great job, but look at it this way, or here's how I would do it. Or so I've gotten really, really great at training. And then I've trained our team to train and I think that that's like, they say that the, one of the biggest financial sucks for companies is um, training and development. And yeah. that the number one reason companies fail is because of lack of team and lack of the right support. And I think like the people that I've attracted around me is what has saved us and what saved me and what has grown us like year over year. Again, so many things to say. I mean, 
I've never heard of that as a business model and how genius too. I know this isn't why you're doing it, but what an incentive to do your coaching program. Oh my God, I could get hired here. Right. And, but also it's, it's interesting because, you know, this genius network, which is this thing I'm a part of, they talk a lot about making your business not built around you because selling it, you know, it's the difference between a seven figure business and an eight figure business. You know, you could sell it. Right. So God, just, I'm loving this, but okay. We have to get, you know, towards wrapping up. So I have, it's don't let this, these two words freak you out, but lightning round, uh, questions. All Let's it do it. It's just, yeah. Say the first thing that comes to mind. Um, oh, sorry. Let me not forget this. How do you find the, define the word struggle and how do you define the word success? Struggle is just your challenges, whatever you're kind of asked to go through in this thing we call life. And I think success is what you decide to do with it. Great. Love it. Okay. Now, what is your morning routine? Oh my God. My morning routine is be upset that I have to wake up, realize I actually do love my life, get the fuck out of bed, and then eat something. <laughs> love it. What is a book that changed your life? Um, Louise Hay, You Can Heal Your Life was really eye-opening for me. Great. What is one of your favorite quotes? Mm. I'm going to butcher the quote, but it's, it's basically, um, don't, you know, if the thing that you want is going to take a long time, don't worry. Don't worry about it because the time will pass anyway. Oh, who said it? Do you know? I, I'll have to find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one's, this one's um, how about this one too? Why? Because it's related and it's one of my favorites. We get what we want when we stop insisting on it. Mm. So good. Okay. Have you had a mentor? Many. Um, what is your spiritual practice? My spiritual practice is talking. Like I, I talk out loud a lot and just when I'm working in my house and I, I guess I'm talking to God. Sometimes I'm talking to my brother. Sometimes I'm talking to myself, my future self, mm, you know, I love but it. I think it's just being connected. What's your best quality? I think my empathy, I think because of everything I've been through, I like really actually can get people. I used to hate when people like, I totally get it. Like your, your brother overdosed. Oh my God. I, I get it because my cousin was really sick for, I'm like, no, you don't get it. But I actually think I do get a lot of things. And I can I am very empathic. Like I can feel other people's feelings, which is good and bad. Yeah. I, same. It's not always great. <laughs> um, what's your worst quality? Mm, impatience. Oh my God. We're like spiritual sisters. What's your sign? That's not part of the lightning round, but now I'm just curious. I'm a Libra double Scorpio. Oh, intense. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. See, you know how they, there's, I saw a meme once that like, uh, one man can, one, one relationship can ruin a sign for you. And unfortunately I dated a Scorpio and uh, God damn it. Will I, whoa. Um, but, um, we can yeah. still be soul sisters. Yeah, exactly. We're not going to date like that. So we're <laughs> totally fine. Um, okay. And how can people find you? What's the best way to find you? Yeah, I think the most fun way to follow us is through our Instagram, which is at Inner Glow Circle. And then our website, innerglowcircle.com, has a ton of cool shit too. And people can sign up for certification. Can anybody sign up for that or do they do the coaching program first? 
So our coaching program is our certification. Mm -hmm. That's our starter program. And then we have um, a graduate program for graduates. But yeah, we offer a lot of digital programs too. Like we have mini courses. So there's a lot of different ways to get started. Um, and then our, our course course is just, there's a short application process. I love it. You are fantastic. I am so glad we did this. And um, anybody uh, listening, please, if you're liking this new version of the podcast, and you are because it's shooting up, I, which I mean, sorry to brag, um, but it's shooting up on the list, <laughs> throw a review up there and say how much you like it and, um, and reach out to Katie, find her. She is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.